Good morning, Southwinds. It is great to see you. And while you are uh, opening your Bibles to the book of Joshua, I want to say the Lord is great again by celebrating what he did here last Sunday afternoon in our harvest party. Uh, If you were here, this won't surprise you. We welcomed around 3,000 people on our campus. And uh, we're really excited about that. You know, we we prayed that God would send us 2,500 people, and God just said, no, I can do better than that. And uh, we're we're so pleased uh, to see all that he did. Pastor Chris Thielen uh, and his team did an amazing job. God gave us a beautiful afternoon. We had lots and lots and lots and lots of kids that had lots of fun. And uh, we are now working to connect uh, with all the new friends that we made. So just praise the Lord and you continue to do your part, and uh, we'll just see what God brings out of that. Uh, so today, we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4, two entire chapters. Uh, we're going to be doing that over the next two to three hours, and um, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Uh, but this is week three of our series, Fearless, uh, Facing Our Future, as we are doing a study through the book of Joshua. And these, these two chapters... Uh, they discuss uh, one of the most significant historical moments really in all of human history, uh, Israel's crossing of the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And these two chapters, they teach us one of the most important truths that we really can ever know, and that is simply this, God is with us. God is with us. God is with you. I want you to say it, God is with me. I want you to say God is with me always. See, there are very few things in our life that can change our life more than when we begin to live consistently and live confidently in the reality that God is with us. It just changes everything. It changes how you live today. It changes how you you live tomorrow. And I just want you to see from these two chapters that as we move into our always uncertain futures, and that's just reality, the future is uncertain, we can know that God is always with us. This is the promise we have today. It was true 3,400 years ago for that nation of Israel camped on the banks of the flooded Jordan River. It's true for us still today. So living confidently in the reality that God is with us is what allows us to live without fear. And that really is our question today. How can this be uh, real in our lives? How can this happen in our lives? How do we experience God's presence with us? And I'm going to give you three words as we work our way through uh, these chapters. Uh, Those words are preparation and obedience and remembrance. Here's uh, where we're going to start. Let's read the first five verses of Joshua 3. It says, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim, and we talked last week how that's an unfortunate name for a place. Uh, don't need to go over that again. And they went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So the first thing we need is preparation. And what I want to say it in this way is we get, uh, or we get ready for God to do amazing things. We need to prepare our lives 
for God to act. I want to ask you right now, do you believe that God wants to do amazing things in your life? See, I'm not talking, just to be real clear, about a, a, a better job or a heftier retirement portfolio or a bigger house. I'm talking about something far, far better. God wants to live in you and work through you to show his glory in this world. And when we know that, it gives us purpose. When we know that, it allows us to prepare for tomorrow because we are living confidently that God is with us. Now, I think to understand these two chapters, we, we need to uh, kind of back up a little bit and remember what has just happened. Uh, you'll know in your Bible that the book of Deuteronomy comes right before the book of Joshua. And really, the events that end Deuteronomy help us understand what we are now seeing in Joshua. Uh, Deuteronomy 34.8 says this, the Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. So for 30 days, they grieved. For 30 days, they wondered what was next. They, they remembered what had been, and they had so many stories to tell. Like when God had first come to Moses and said, Moses, I'm taking you back to Egypt, out of the desert. You're going to lead my people out. And Moses said, uh, 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 God, no, 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 no. I think you got the wrong guy. I don't speak so good. Moses said, I can't do it. And God said, I want you to take that shepherd's staff in your hand and throw it on the ground. And Moses did that, and it became a snake. And then God said to Moses, pick it up. And I don't think Moses stuttered when he said no. <laughs> he doesn't want to. It's a snake, but he obeyed. He did it, and it turns back into his staff. And just a little bit later, He's going to take that staff. He's going to hold it over the Nile River, and the waters of the Nile River are going to turn to blood. And best of all, there was that moment when they were at the shore of the Red Sea. The water is in front of them. The army of Pharaoh is behind them. They're trapped in an entire nation. They think they're going to die. And Moses holds up his staff over those waters, and the waters part, and the Israelites walk through the sea on dry land. I mean, that's the kind of leader Moses was. And even when he didn't have that magic stick, he could take his hand, you know, put it inside his cloak, pull it out, and it would be white with leprosy. Put it back in, pull it out again, and it's fine. Do you ever think maybe that he did that to freak out the nephews and nieces, you know? Uh, no, no, Uncle Mo, put it back, the hand, the hand, you know. But maybe best of all, um, when he came down from Mount Sinai, Moses' face glowed. Remember, he, his, his face would be glowing because he had been in the presence of God. And you put all this together, the point really is Moses is what we would call a like real-life superhero. God equipped Moses with amazing power, so it was no wonder that they mourned for him 30 days on the plains of Moab. But then think what that means. Joshua is now in charge. And if you think about that, it's kind of like going from Batman to Robin, right? Know what I'm saying? I mean, Batman has all the cool stuff. 
He's got the Batmobile. He's got the Batcave. He's got the Bat utility belt. Every cool Bat gadget in the world. And what does Robin have besides, like, the lamest costume ever? I mean, I mean, <laughs> just those shorts. It looks like a green pair of Depends. Um, it's not right. Not right. And, you know, Robin's only claim to fame is he's Batman's sidekick. Kind of how it is for Joshua to Moses. So you're kind of getting a sense, if you think about it, how daunting it was at the end of those 30 days. I mean, God hasn't even given Joshua his own special stick. There's no miracles to his credit, at least not yet. The only thing that God has given Joshua so far is a promise. It's that promise we saw two weeks ago, that promise I challenged you to memorize, and many of you are doing that. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. See, God is with you. Do you see? That's the same promise that God offers to you and to me. That's the same promise that we have today. It's what we're talking about today. God is with you. And I kind of think for a lot of us, we're, we're like church people. We've heard this promise so many times, maybe hundreds of times, and, and maybe it doesn't move us in the way it once did. Maybe it kind of just floats past us and we don't really let it sink in. Maybe, maybe you're here for the very first time kind of checking things out and you're wondering, what do these crazy Christians think? Or maybe this is a new idea. Maybe you've never considered that the God of all the universe offers to be with you always, that he, that he wants to be with you all the time. I mean, <laughs> you don't want to be with yourself all the time, but apparently God does. God does. You know, I'm just thinking that there are some of us here today, and you desperately need to know that God is with you. It's like you're hanging by a thread. And maybe just like the Israelites, you're in a time of mourning. And maybe while the funeral that you went to didn't last a whole month, when it comes to the grief, you're, you're still there, and it's like there's no end in sight. It feels like it's never going to end. And one of the great truths that come out of this story, I think, right at the beginning is this. It's God is with you so you can get ready for tomorrow even when you think your best days are behind you. See, God still does amazing things. You know, those, those first days, really, of the post-Moses era, they, the anxiety had to be off the charts we continue to see that in Deuteronomy 34. The, the book ends with a little more of Moses' biography. Listen to this. It's verse 10 and, and following. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And it's like, congratulations, Joshua. You get to follow that. I mean, how can their present day or even their tomorrow compare with their yesterday? I mean, it was amazing. And, and I think if you've ever lost something or someone you dearly love, then you know exactly what these people are feeling. 
Maybe today all you can see is what's missing. I mean, it's pretty hard to be optimistic about what's next. And the larger the loss, the harder it is to see that your best days might be indeed ahead of you instead of behind you. And this is why you may especially need to hear these words, these very words that God spoke to Joshua. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go, wherever you go. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you, just you answer this in your heart. It's a real simple question. Do you believe that? Some of you need to write it down in your notes and take it home And you need to look at it and think about it. Do I believe that? Do I believe that God is with me? Not like some abstract concept, not just something that the pastor talks about on Sunday mornings, not as some sort of self-help positive affirmation, but do I believe that God, by his Holy Spirit, actually is with me? See, this is... This is not some minor teaching in the Bible. This message is all throughout the scriptures. I mean, most notably for us as Christ's followers, we remember after Jesus has risen from the dead, he's with his disciples. You remember, and he says to them, touch my scars, see where the nails were, feel where the spear was thrust into my side. And he's spending time with them. And, And then at the end of that time, 40 days, he's ascending back to heaven. And the very last thing he says, you remember, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's the same promise, and that promise is for us. And that means that you and I today, we can get ready for tomorrow because we remember God is with me today. It's not just yesterday. It's not back in the glory days alone. God is with me today, right now. This is what the nation of Israel camped by the banks of the Jordan River needed to remember. Maybe you hear that and maybe you're thinking, well, (laughs) I believe that, Mike. I actually do. But here's the truth. The best life has to offer me really is behind me. I mean, I had a pretty good run. I had some great moments, but I'm past my prime. And I'll just let you know I'm being real careful right now where I look. Um, But the truth is, you live long enough. I mean, you can tighten and you can tuck and whatever else. The clock, it just keeps moving. And eventually your health fails. Eventually most of the people dear to you pass on. And perhaps... The best that life has to offer really truly is behind you. But I want to tell you today, do not mistake the best that life has to offer with the best that God has to offer. Because God has so much more. And he may surprise you. It may be that in the autumn of your life, he fills your life with more joy than you ever expected. But one thing is for sure, in the life ahead, the life that awaits you one day, there is more joy than we can ever begin to even imagine. So whatever happens between now and then, however God works in your life, he promises to be with you every step of the way. 
Look again at verses 4 and 5. We, we see in those verses that we get ready for tomorrow, even when we, we do not know the, the way forward, that God is with us, even when we don't know where we're going. And, and again, maybe some of you are here today because you want a fresh start, and the truth is you have no idea how to do that. I mean, it's like, how do I begin? And this is exactly where the Israelites were. I mean, the promised land, it sounds great. Uh, they want to go there, but, but how? And we also need to keep in mind something about them. Their parents, a generation earlier, 38 years before, were right in the same place, right at the edge of the promised land, and they blew it. And so they have in their collective memories this epic fail, all these people wondering. They know what's happened in the past, and Joshua now says, gather at the edge of the Jordan. And, and you, did you notice what happens next? I mean, it's nothing, actually, for three days. They sit there, and they're looking at that water, that overflowing uh, river, flooding the banks. They're wondering, like, oh, when are the boats going to show up? They're wondering, when are the guys who are going to build the bridge going to start doing their thing? Three days, like, asking the very same question, now what? How do we move forward? And their answer was going to be that God would be with them. And that's our answer, too. So we need to live today in preparation for tomorrow. We need to get ready for what God has tomorrow. And we can live in confidence because as we get ready for that uncertain future, we can know that God is with us. Second word I want to leave you with, second way we leave, live in God's presence is obedience. And I want, to, I want to put it this way. We obey God even when obedience requires risk. Beginning in verse 6, it says, uh, Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. And so they took it up and went ahead of them. This, again, is telling us, like we saw in the previous verses, that we are to obey even when we don't know where we're going. So obedience is, is required even when we can't see the way. And we need to remember that even when we don't know where we're going, God does, and therefore we can follow him. Joshua in verse 5 told them to consecrate themselves. That means to set their lives apart from sin, to set their lives apart for following God. And now he's going to give them some instructions to obey. And, and I want you to understand they're going to obey as they focus on and as they follow the ark. See, the ark is the symbol of God's presence. And, you know, thanks to Indiana Jones, we all kind of have an idea of the ark of the covenant. <laughs> And I have to need, tell some of you, the ark doesn't really melt your face off. Um, based on the biblical descriptions, it probably looks something like this. It was a wooden box. It really wasn't that big. It's pretty much three feet by two feet. It was a wooden box that was clad with gold. It had two cherubim on top. And they called it the Ark of the Covenant because it contained the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments, which comprised the covenant between God and his people inside. And, and among other things, it served as a kind of as God's throne. And God would manifest his presence in and around the ark in very powerful ways. And we notice in this chapter that the people are told to keep their distance from the ark. It's about a half a mile away between themselves and the ark. And some people say it has something to do with the holiness of the ark and God because only the priests are supposed to come near it. But I actually think in this passage, there's a more practical reason. This isn't a small crowd. Uh, scholars estimate around 2 million people. 
And so if, if they're like all hovering around the ark, the only people who can see the ark are those who are right next to it. But if you put that golden box like a half mile out in front and it's gleaming there in the sun, then everybody who's looking can see it and everybody can follow it. And I think this really is a very good picture of obedience. God leads, we follow. That sounds very simple, but in truth, it's actually very hard. Amen? Because <laughs> the problem is, if you're like me, a lot of us like to say, well, God, you know, I have a seat for you here on my board. You can be one of my advisors. Or God, you know, if you want to live in that gold box, well, we have a place in the luggage department. That's where we, you know, keep the boxes. But out in front, you lead, I'll follow. It kind of reminds me of that old bumper sticker. Do you remember the one that said, God is my co-pilot? Now, I, I think it's well intended, and I don't mean to judge you if that was on your car, but if you think about it, it's ridiculous. I mean, if God is your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. See, obedience means God is out in front. He's the leader, and I'm not, and you're not. In fact, it's interesting, if you read through this chapter carefully, you'll see the ark is mentioned 16 times in these two chapters. It's real clear if you pay attention to what the star of the show is. You go back to verse 7, it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel. And so we see God exalting a man, exalting a leader. But why is he doing that? We'll read the rest of the verse. So that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. In other words, even in God's exaltation of this human leader, it's not about you, Joshua. It is about me. It's about the fact that I am with you, that God is with you. That is what makes all the difference. The same is true with us. You know, you have no idea what is around the next curve, and you might not want to know, but that's okay because God knows, and God is going to lead you, and your job is just to follow in fact, I have a practical suggestion for you. If you don't do something like this, you should incorporate it into your life. I want to suggest to you that as soon as you get up or as soon as you're alert enough to form a conscious thought, some of you, it takes a few minutes, right? <laughs> um, but very, very early in your day, develop the habit of, of, of praying, God, will you lead me today? Develop the habit of confessing, God, I, I know you're going to lead me today. I'm going to trust you to lead me today, one step at a time, one surprise at a time. You know, one of the, the reasons that we have so many of the uh, ministries that we have, that we have small groups and we have support groups, we have Celebrate Recovery. I mean, why do we do these things? Well, we do it so that wherever you are in your journey of faith, we want to provide you opportunities to learn and to understand what it means to actually follow the Lord. The point is you don't have to do this by yourself. The point is we follow the Lord better when we follow with other people. Some of you might be thinking, well, time out, Mike, okay? I, I actually have a pretty good idea where God is leading me. I mean, I've prayed about it, and I've read his word and thought about it. And, and as I'm living in community with my small group, my friends, I think I know where God wants to lead me. And actually, that's what terrifies me, because I can't do it. 
I know what God's calling me to do, but I don't have the resources. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. And, and honestly, that may all be true. But there is a truth that supersedes all of that, and it's simply this. We obey because God is with you even when your next step seems impossible. See, whatever that next step is, your next step today may be repentance. God is calling you to stop doing something that you're doing, and you don't think you can. But God will be with you if you obey him. Your next step may be restoration or it may be healing. It may be moving into a freedom from your shame or maybe from your worries or your bitterness or your addiction. Whatever thing is coming to your mind right now, you hold on to that. God is going to take you through that. Look at verse 8. It says, it says, tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant when you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, waters, go and stand in the river. Now, if you've read the rest of the chapter, you know more than this. Uh, verse 15 tells us that harvest season is now there, and that means the Jordan River is actually overflowing its banks. This is a river at flood stage. Isn't that interesting that God would choose this time to cross, to take the nation across? You see, most of the year, eight or nine months of the year, the Jordan River is more like a creek. Anybody can walk right across it. There's plenty of places where you can cross the river and you won't even get your knees wet. But on the day that God picks his people, the nation of Israel, to cross the Jordan River after a whole generation of wandering in the wilderness, on that day, it is flooded. It is overflowing its banks. And can you just see this picture? You know, the, the priests are told, okay, it's time to go. And, and they know they've got to pick up this heavy box. I mean, it's a box that's gold-plated, and it's got stone tablets in it. And they are told that you're to start marching, and when you get to the river, you don't stop. You go into the river and stand there. Let's just stop for a minute. I just have to ask you, does that make sense? I mean... If you're ever standing next to a river at flood stage, would you think, hey, this would be a great time for me to grab the nearest, heaviest object that I can find and go into the water? Oh, here's the barbecue. I'll take that. No. We wouldn't think that at all. It doesn't make sense. I mean, it's just common sense not to do something like that. It's ridiculous. And it highlights the reality that sometimes God's ways are counterintuitive. Sometimes obedience to God means that we need to do things that don't maybe make sense to us. I mean, I don't know, for different people, the way we do relationships, the way we handle our sexuality, how we handle our finances, how God asks us to give and to be generous, all those things are counterintuitive. And it may be that I need to remind some of you that you've been doing it your way for a long time and it's really not working. This nation of Israel, for 40 years, they've been wandering in the wilderness. Why? Because they did it their way. They didn't do it God's way. So God says to them, take this heavy object, step into the flood. And here's the interesting thing. Did you notice or do you notice that it, it wasn't until they actually obeyed that something changed? It wasn't until they obeyed that their future changed. And maybe... Your future will change if you obey. 
Two million people cross, and they're all looking at that box. They're all being reminded of God's presence and God's power. Let me just ask you to think about this. Apply this to your life. I and mean, what is God calling you to do that's counterintuitive? Is it possible that God is calling you towards something? God is calling you to make a change, and it doesn't really make sense to you? Maybe you've been kind of living in this lane morally, ethically, financially. You've been in the same lane. You're okay with that lane. But sometimes in your journey of faith, God comes and confronts, and, and God says, I want you over here. He challenges you. He stretches you. And you might not like it. Do you know if you've never experienced the tension between where you are and where God wants to take you, if you're God, all he ever does is agree with you. I have news for you. That's not God. If your God always agrees with you, it's just you. It's not God. It's a God you've invented because the God of Scripture always confronts us. He doesn't always agree with us. I mean, God loves us, as someone said, just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us where we are. And we should expect that he will call us to do things sometimes that we don't get, that are counterintuitive. Sometimes it seems impossible. And sometimes, yes, they are impossible apart from his power, apart from his presence, apart from his grace. Maybe it's just a practical thing. You're struggling to make ends meet. Maybe you're a single parent and you worry about your kids all the time because try as you might, you knock yourself out. It just physically is not possible for you to cover as many bases as two people can. And sometimes you find yourself in despair. Sometimes the next step seems impossible. Remember today, whatever it is, a decision, a change in circumstances, Remember that God promises that he will provide. He's going to be with you. And it may not be in the ways you think he will or think he should, but he will provide. In fact, the same God we're reading about in Joshua who promised to be with Joshua always wherever he went, that is the same God. He makes that same promise to you and to me. Now, I need to be clear because I am not saying that God will always give you what you want. And I will promise you he will not do that but he will give you what you need. This story reminds us is that nothing is impossible for God. Again, go back to the priest. And like you stop to think about it, just put yourself there and really get into what's happening. You can't call this even a a sink or swim moment because it's just a sink moment. They're going to sink. They're not going to make it unless God intervenes. Look at verse 9. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Verse 12, now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, And as soon as the priest who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand in a heap. You may want to write down, I can obey remembering that God will lead me, that the God who promises to always be with us, he will also always lead us. 
Continuing in verse 14, it says, So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the city of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. I just can't even conceive what that must have been like. I mean, I read the different commentators and they all have different descriptions of how that must have happened. And I'm going to tell you as best as I understand it, what I think took place. I think those priests walked into the water. And did you notice they were told that they were to go into the water and stand there? I think they got into the water and I don't think the water went away right away. You say, why do you say that? Well, it says the water began to pile up in Adam or Adam. This is a, a, a town that's actually like 19 miles north. And so what I'm guessing may have happened is the water started piling up right there, but there's like 19 miles of river between where the, the pile is starting to happen and where they are, and so that water still has to flow, and they still have to stand, and they still have to trust that God is doing what he said, but it gets there maybe pretty quickly, and then they watch it drain like a bathtub emptying out all the way down. It just goes away. And now... There's an open river, a bed that God dries out, and it's more than 20 miles wide, and the nation begins to cross. They begin to walk past this golden box, the presence of God. I don't know, was his cloud above the, pres the there, you know, was he visibly present there as they went by. The nation passes on dry land just like their parents did when they crossed the Red Sea. There's so many things in this story that are important, but just hold on to this. We obey God and we see him change our lives. We obey God even when it's counterintuitive. We obey God even when there seems to be risk for us because he is with us. The third thing we need to see is this word remember. And this is from chapter four. We intentionally recall God's amazing work in our lives. Uh, in verse four and following, it says, so Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. I want you to stop and think about this, okay? Do you think if you were there, I mean, you experienced this with your own two eyes, like, like you stopped... And you saw the waters disappear, and you walked across a dry riverbed that a few minutes before had been at flood stage, 
and you got to the other side safe and sound, do you think that you could ever possibly forget that? I mean, why would anybody need a reminder about that? I mean, would we forget stuff like this? Well, the answer is actually, yeah. You would forget. How do I know? Because they would forget. How do I know they would forget? Well, look at their history. Let's just roll it back 40 years. You know the story. Their parents had the exact same thing happen, maybe, only, maybe even more dramatically. God parted the Red Sea. And if you go back and read the story, you really should do this sometime if you haven't done it recently. Three days later, what are the nation of Israel, what are the people of Israel doing three days after God has parted the Red Sea? They are complaining. I thought of another word, but I shouldn't say that in church. They are complaining three days after God parted the Red Sea. Oh, man, God just brought us out here to kill us. This is horrible. We want to go back to Egypt. We love being slaves. We had food to eat back there. It was the best. We're going to starve out there. And then God sends manna. It's this miracle bread from heaven. It's like, you know, breakfast is outside on the ground every day. Just go outside. You get it. It's there. You can bake it. You can boil it. Uh, All kinds of ways to eat it. And then not too long after that, complaining again. We hate manna. If only we had meat, then we'd be happy. And what does God do? God says, you want meat? I'll give you meat. God sends like millions of quail, and they're not flying up there. Nobody has to shoot them. They're just flying along the ground, low and handy. You know, you just get a bag, and they fly in your bag, and you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then what happens after that? If I have to eat one more quail drumstick, I think I'm going to be sick. I mean, it just continues on and on and on and on. I was thinking a few years ago, you remember when we had a drought? And it was like four or five years and hardly any rain. And we were praying that God would send us rain, right? I mean, you know, we need rain. We need rain. Remember the year before last? We got rain. We got a lot of rain. I think it was like the second or third rain shower we had, rainstorm that we had. And I heard people complaining. I'm sure some of you here, because I know who you are. (laughs) Oh, this rain. I hate this rain. Right? This is who we are. We forget We forget. So knowing this, God tells Joshua, while the river is still being held back, Joshua, pick 12 guys, one from each tribe, have them pick up a big stone, haul it to the other side. We're going to build a memorial. And then it says in verse 21 that they're going to have their children in the future ask, what do these stones mean? And then you can tell them, Joshua says, then you can say, this is where our fathers, the Israelites, the nation, we pass by on dry ground because we need help remembering. We're no different than they were. No matter how God provides, we have short memories. And so I want to give you a couple of closing applications. First thing is we need to find ways to remember. And what I want to suggest to you practically is you need to remember and write down your stories of God's faithfulness in your lives. It's like you have to remember not to forget This doesn't have to be real complicated. You know, just do it in what's ever the simplest, um, most practical way for you. Joshua just used 12 rocks, okay? It doesn't have to cost money. Some of you uh, may want to do something like what I've heard called a gratitude journal. It's just a notebook. And when God blesses you, when God shows himself to be faithful in your life, you just write down 
what he did to help you not forget so that you can go back years later and you can remember and you can give God praise again. Sometimes people like to personalize their Bible, maybe highlighting verses that speak to you, maybe writing notes in the margin about what God is telling you, maybe dating that so it's easier for you to recall later. I mean, the ways you could do that are really up to you, but it's important when you find a way to do that. And oh, by the way, I just have to ask, are you as parents telling your children the stories of God's faithfulness in your lives? Do they know what God has done for you? Have you ever said to your children, we used to be slaves. I was a slave to this or that. God rescued me. God saved me. God redeemed me. You know, some of our kids... They walk away from God because they don't have any idea what God has done in our lives. We need to be telling them the stories of God's faithfulness. Find a way to do that. And then in verses 23 and 24, we we see the last application. We need to remember that God wants to use my story to display his glory. I didn't come up with that. I got it from somewhere else, so I'll give credit, but maybe that'll help you remember this. This is what it says in verses 23 and 24. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. See, why did God tell Israel across the Jordan on a day it was flooded? I mean, did he do that just to show off? No, he did that to bring glory to his name so that all the nations of the earth might know his power. He did that so that his own people might fear and reverence him forever. In other words, he's saying to them and he's saying to us, your story is bigger than just you. I want to use your story so that the world will know who I am. I'm going to use your story to display my glory. That's why we keep God out in front. And God wants to say to these people, it's not just your grandparents' story. It's not just your parents' story. It's your story too. Maybe we read stories like this and we say, my life is not nearly that dramatic. In fact, it's kind of boring. Well, you need to be reminded that God invites us to share in the greatest miracle of all. Because there is a chasm, a divide that was greater than the Jordan River, greater than even the Red Sea. It was a chasm between us and God the God who loves us. It was a chasm that had been created by our sin, by our rebellion, and there was no way we were ever going to get across that, no way we were ever going to cover that gap. It was absolutely impossible. So what does God do? Well, God becomes one of us, and God goes before us. God sends his son, and Jesus is born. Do you remember what the scriptures said his name shall be called? Emmanuel, which means... God with us. 
And when Jesus came and lived his life, and then when he died on the cross, what he did was he created a bridge into God's promise, a bridge into the life that God has for us, a bridge that we can walk across, a bridge that we can follow into where we are reunited with the God who loves us because Jesus has bridged that gap forever. See, the truth is, today, still, you don't have to live in the wilderness anymore. You don't have to wander anymore. God says, I am calling you into the ultimate promised land. And by the way, the entry into that land, into that promise, into that life, into that future, it's still wide open. Everyone who wants to can come. Everyone. See, all you need is repentance and faith. That's all you need. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as we pray. And as we think about what God has spoken to us in his word, would you just ask him to speak to you?